0: Shifting from right to left, play action to that side. Rolling ride looking, fires to the end zone, kind of main, oh, That's a 15
1: Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories Podcast, Season 3, Episode 10. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season, and today we are joined by Sunbelt Conference Commissioner Keith Gill and former Florida quarterback and Heisman Trophy winner Danny Werfel. If you missed any of our previous episodes, you can catch them on Spotify. Apple Music, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate you to like, subscribe, and drop a five-star rating. And as always, you can follow all the Bull Season news on our website, bullseason.com, and on social media at Bullseason. Today's show is brought to you by Sport Radar, reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and betters. Our first guest was named the commissioner of the Sunbelt Conference in 2019 and is the first African-American commissioner of any FBS conference. He's a 25-year veteran of intercollegiate athletics. Please welcome to the show, Keith Gill. Keith, thanks for joining us. Nick, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Keith, I'm gonna throw it back to the beginning of your college athletics career, and I mean way back when you were a student and a football player at Duke. You were a running back from 90 to 93, What was that experience like and how do you think it helps you relate to student athletes you now oversee as commissioner?
0: Yeah, you know, I I think that the the experience was tremendous. You know, I I just think that, you know, I was so fortunate to have the opportunity to go to Duke and get that type of education, have that experience playing football. The teammates and friends that I currently have now um, as part of my support system is really important. I I think one of the main things is I kind of remember the journey, you know, Um, I fortunate if I've been an AD for almost 10 years at two different schools. And I used to always, um, I was always struck by the journey a student athlete had when as a freshman, you're trying to talk to them and they're really shy and not really wanting to engage you. And then you see that growth to where they're a senior and they really are talking your head off. They're really engaging socially. And I could even see myself in that. You know, I felt like my parents dropped me off at college. I thought I was going to bust out crying. Like the only reason I didn't um, was because my teammates were there, and I didn't want to cry on the first day. But you know, you're really lost. You've never been kind of away from home for like kind of ever. And um, and then eventually you get to a point where you're really comfortable. You've got friends. You and and that growth period is is really important. That growth period for me is something that was has really. Um, helped me, and um, and certainly I remember it for other students, and um, think about that when I'm engaging them and talking to them um, in this current
1: role. Last year, the Sun Belt welcomed four new institutions to its family: James Madison, Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss. How has that positively positively impacted the league? And tell us your thoughts in general on the wave of conference realignment that we've seen in the past two years. Yeah, you know, I
0: mean, I, I think there's been a lot of disruption. And, um, and certainly that has upset some of the traditional things in sport. And um, and I think some of that is unfortunate. You can see that in some of this most recent wave of realignment. However, I'm really excited about, you know, what we were able to do with the Sun Belt. I mean, I, I think the first part of it, when you think about our, like, 10 kind of legacy schools, we were able to get everyone playing football. And um, so before, um, when I first came to the conference, we had non-football playing schools, Um, and and now we have all football-playing schools, and that starts with those kind of 10 legacy football-playing members, and then we added the four members that you talked about, and I think it's just been tremendous. I think what it's really allowed us to do is really kind of double down on regional rivalries, which, you know, as you can see, conferences continue to expand and go kind of coast-to-coast. You know, our ability to play regional rivalries, I think, is a differentiator. I think it creates some really exciting... matchup. It creates matchups that the fans are really familiar with. We've been able to create some traditional rivalries that kind of got separated because of conference realignment. And so I I think um, the additions have really helped us from a geographic standpoint. I think we added some really passionate fan bases, which I think is really important to us. Um, We want to try to drive more traffic into our stadiums and create that energy. And I think by having fans that are interested in the games because they're opponents that they recognize games that are very interesting because they're really good traditional rivalries and solid football programs. I think you can um, you can create that as well. And then at the end of the day, we're winning a lot of games um, from a football standpoint and really across the board. Um, If you look at us in all of our sports, you know, we're better. We had uh, four teams in the baseball championship last year. We had Super regional team in baseball, super regional team in softball, four softball teams last year as well. Multiple uh, men's golf teams got one, two, three, um, the top three men's soccer programs in the country at this point. And then, you know, we lead all of the non-autonomy FBS and in the number of wins and winning percentage uh, this season in the non-conference. So it's been great from a success standpoint. I think it's been great from a fan standpoint. And we're really excited with um, with how it's going and how that transition has um, transpired.
1: Well, and to add on to that, the the Sunbelt leads all conferences with a 614 winning percentage during bowl season in the CFP era, which which began in 2014. That's pretty impressive. I, I didn't even realize that until I was I was researching this. How much pride do you take in that fact? And what does that say about the strength of your football conference?
0: Yeah, you know, we take a lot of pride in that. You know, at the end of the day, this is about winning games. And um, and and the great thing about bowl season is it's really good on good. You know, you're taking the best college football teams and, um, and they're competing against each other. So those wins uh, mean a lot. Um, we take great pride in it because it's really important to us at the end of the day. You know, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And that's what bowl season is kind of about. And that's what you know, that's why we like it so much. So I think we do take a lot of pride in it. We talk about it a lot. We focus on it a lot. Um, the non-conference is really important to us because at the end of the day, you're going to be 500 in the conference, period. You know, there's no way of getting around it. Someone's going to win. Someone's going to lose. You're going to be 500. So the way that you really drive your winning percentage up and the only way you can get better is um, is the non-conference. And um, we take great pride in having success. And uh, we take great pride
1: in um, leading FBS and bowl winning percentage. Now, next season, we all know the CFP will be expanding from four teams to 12. Everyone's excited about that and looking forward to that. But you and I know there are 36 other bowls during bowl season that won't factor into the national championship equation. Tell us why those games are still so important to the universities and student athletes. Yeah, you know, I I think one,
0: they're really important to those communities. And, And I think that You know, the great thing about the bowls is that it allows us to invest in communities that are we don't necessarily live in, but we certainly are a part of. And uh, and I think that that's important in terms of the charitable aspects of any bowl that you go to and the amount of money they give give back. I think the opportunity to compete against a team that you haven't played that season and may have never played, I think, is something that's really special um, for student athletes. I think having the opportunity to just play in the postseason and then I also think when you think about postseason, you know, in some ways without the bowls, college football would be underrepresented in terms of postseason opportunities relative to some of the other sports um, in terms of, you know, where they're getting 25, um, 30, 35 percent of their teams have a chance to go to the postseason. If there were only four bowls it would be less than 4%. Um, I'm sorry. If it was only the CFP and there were only four teams, it would be less than 4%. And even with 12 teams, it's it's, it's still under 10%. And, and so I think the bowls allow us to provide that great postseason opportunity. I think it's a great part of the learning experience and the life skills that we're trying to teach students, which is allowing them to travel to places they haven't been before, allowing them to participate in community projects, whether it's visiting a hospital and understanding you know, what some children or some are going through and some of the hardships, understanding how to help it or whether it's working at a food bank. Those kind of charitable things that happen in the bowls, I think are really important as well. So I think it's a great learning experience. It's a great postseason opportunity. It's a great way to give back to the community. And um, the bowls are such a really
1: important part of the success of college football. What are some of your favorite experiences or memories from bowl games, either in your current role as commissioner or during any of the previous stops in your career?
0: Yeah. You know, um, I, I think that one of the coolest things to me is seeing students. So, you know, Georgia state. So in my first year Georgia state played in the Arizona bowl and of all, I didn't talk to one Georgia state student athlete that had been to Arizona. It was their very first time in Arizona. And one of the things that, I can remember because I grew up in the East as well. And so the first time I went to Arizona, I was just struck by how dry it was or, and how brown it was because I grew up in a place that was very green and certainly a little more lush. And so that experience to me is a metaphor of, of what bulls are. They really open the eyes of the student-athletes and give them experiences that they would not have um, would had otherwise. So I think that's one of my, um, my most memorable experiences memorable um, uh, bowl experiences in terms of just, you know, students just had never been to Arizona and that was their first time and how excited they were to be there and to learn about it and to see something new and to participate. I think that's what bowls are all about. And um, in some ways that's probably a metaphor for most kind of bowl experiences for those student athletes is they're just getting exposed to new things, new experiences and those learning opportunities are really going to last a lifetime.
1: No doubt about it. You know, we talk a lot about the student athlete experience. You know, we the, the other sports, as you mentioned, you know, basketball can go to the go to the Bahamas in the early season or the Hawaii. You know, other sports, they go on foreign tours, you know, for football programs, bowl games. Bowl games is that experience. There's there's no, nothing else that can replace it. So uh, we're, we're proud of that and proud that we could serve that, that role for the student athletes. Um, I'd love for you to tell our Listeners, what it's like to be an FBS commissioner during football season? What do your Saturdays look like? How many games do you attend in person? And I don't know, do you have any favorite places? Probably can't pick a favorite within the conference, but do you have favorite places or, or moments or games that you've attended?
0: Yeah, you know, so my, um, you know, I'm on the road quite a bit. You know, my um, my approach is I try to get to every one of our teams for a home game. And, um, and so we've got fourteen um, 14 campuses to play football. So, in the college football regular season, is 13 weeks. So, you're trying to squeeze that in. Fortunately, you know we play some midweek games, which allow um, us to, you know, it allows me to get to multiple games in a week. Um, but some some Saturdays, I'll go to two games. So, week two of the college football season, I was at uh, JMU, played at UVA, and that was a noon game. And then I hustled over to um, Louisiana because they played at Old Dominion. So it's about a two, two and a half hour drive um, from Charlottesville for a six o'clock kick. And um, and so that's really what it is. A lot of motion, um, a lot of going to see folks, you know, at the game. I love it. Trying to see both presidents if it's a Sunbelt game and uh, trying to see all the ADs and other kind of key folks try to visit with the coaches a little bit, try to visit with uh, the referees and the officials um, at that time. So there's a lot of movement. Uh, next week, um, I'll be at three games. So. Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. So I'll be, um, I'll be hustling, just going from one place to the other. So a fair amount of travel, um, trying to see a lot of football. I try to take one weekend off a month so that I can just sit home and watch kind of all of our teams play and really get a sense of how they're playing. Um, you know, it's mid-October now, so we're getting close to bowl season. Um, and so we'll begin to really start our bowl analysis um, and really trying to understand what the landscape looks like and what might make sense for our teams and what matchups we seek. So that'll be something that really will start to consume us as well. So um, it really is football all the time, which is a good thing. You know, you'll never hear me complain um, about having a, a job where I get to go watch a lot of football because that is something I really enjoy and something I really love. And um, and so, and it's it, yeah, it's been good for me, and I, I
1: certainly enjoy doing it. We need to talk about your conference nickname, the Fun Belt. Where did that come from, and why do you think it's stuck? Yeah, you know, I think it's stuck just
0: because one, I, I do think it came up kind of organically, you know. So it was here before I got here, and um, and I and I feel like it was because of that brand of football, particularly if you think like ten years ago, it seemed like all our games are like fifty-two, fifty-one, and ton of offense and a lot of trick plays and. Things like that that kind of um, associated, and so I think, and obviously, fun rhymes with sun, so it seems like people could easily insert that. So, you know, I think it's great. I think, you know, anything organically um, that kind of rises up and the people enjoy is good. I like to think that our games are fun, play a fun brand of football, and um, and and so you know that's why I think it sticks. You know, it kind of applies, and um, and it certainly is um, is uh, is a nice characteristic.
1: Um, to describe who we are, the organic way is the best way. You don't have to force it; it just happens naturally. That's exactly 100%. yeah, hundred percent. Keith thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate. Know how busy uh, you are this time of year. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Really appreciate everything you do for college football. You're it's you have a big job. You know, running a conference, and and uh, a lot of guys aren't able to put their conference hat aside and kind of look out for the greater good of college football. And you're able to manage that uh, and juggle both of those. Uh, missions uh, equally, and I've always admired you for that, so thank you for that.
0: Yeah, thanks, Nick. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. Good luck the rest of the season. All right, thank you.
1: The forecast for this tax season? It's going to rain refunds. Lots of refunds. File for less and get more with TaxAct, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today. Our next guest is one of the most decorated quarterbacks in the history of college football. He won the Heisman Trophy in 1996 while leading the University of Florida to their first national championship and was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 2013. Please welcome to the show, Danny Werfel. Danny, thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I want to start off, you know, going way back. Uh, As a kid, you moved around a lot uh, before ending up in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, where you were a top-rated football player in the state. Tell us what was your recruitment process like throughout high school and ultimately what made you commit to Florida?
2: Yeah well fortunately you know uh, I think we all love to take credit whenever we have success but when you get older you can look back and you can see all the things that were you're very fortunate blessed and things out of your control. You know first of all I lived in Colorado before Florida. My dad was in the Air Force and we were We almost moved to Minot, North Dakota, uh, in which case maybe I could have been a professional ice fisherman or something. I'm not sure. But instead, we moved to the Panhandle of Florida, which is like a football mecca. And I ended up in a great spot. And then going into my junior year, uh, we got a new football coach who was just a very creative, offensive minded guy. We ran the run and shoot uh and out of that even ran the triple option we 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 were we were tough we won the state my senior year so just was really fortunate that a lot of those pieces came together and my uh my three visits uh that I really looked at was Alabama Florida State and Florida I I loved all three schools um great coaches Gene Stallings Bobby Bowden Steve Spurrier three great football programs three great universities but for me the uh the reason I chose Florida was really twofold one the chance to play for Steve Spurrier as a quarterback. I mean, just uh, the success he had had uh, coaching quarterbacks was amazing. And two, if I if I weren't a football player, I asked myself, which of those schools would I go to? And uh, they're all great universities, but Florida is an outstanding academic institution. In fact, it's uh, right now currently ranked fifth in one poll and one in another poll for public universities in the country. So just a, a great degree to get. And that's why I ended up at Florida.
1: Pretty amazing how circumstances and opportunities dictate your future, right? You, you, didn't, yeah. you didn't think about it when you were a kid, but if you, your family hadn't moved, who knows what you might be doing. Yeah. But we're glad you did. Um, one of your biggest moments early on in your career Florida was in 1993, Florida versus Kentucky. You were still splitting time at quarterback then, but you were in the game with three seconds left. You threw a TD pass to Chris Doring. You know the situation. I don't I don't have to explain it to you, but for our fans that touchdown pass won the game, take me through that experience and what do you remember most about that game
2: man so many memories and emotions but uh i was the backup you know our starter threw four interceptions so i went in and threw three uh and so here we we're at seven interceptions uh still with a chance to win the game and for some reason he put me back in on the last well, series he was, was
1: less than four so you i you, guess you,
2: that's it i guess so uh well, we got we got down the field and with a few seconds left Uh, he called basically a a four four vertical route Uh, they were playing cover two and he really wanted me to try to hit Jack Jackson down the sideline so I went back but just noticed the safety was cheating that way so I just faked that and threw it down the middle to Chris Doring. and boy am I glad he caught that ball and I think our our lives the trajectory of our lives changed uh, on that one play Um, just that amazing experience one of those things you you see in a movie, but when you get to live it in
1: real life, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Coach Spurrier a couple times. You share a unique bond as being the only coach-player combination to both win the Heisman Trophy. Um, it had to be helpful uh, to 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 play for a coach like that. That was such a, such a great quarterback himself. What was it like playing for Coach Spurrier, such a legendary player and coach?
2: Well, I won't ever forget my first interception early on. I threw it. And I thought it was the receiver running the wrong route, so you're kind of curious who Coach Spurrier was going to put the blame on. Well, I got to the sideline, and at first I was very grateful because he said, "Danny, don't worry, it's not your fault." I have a brief sigh of relief. Then he goes, "It's my fault for putting you in the game. You're out." Uh, so that was an early memory with uh, with Coach Spurrier, but um, uh, it was an amazing experience. His mind, the way he saw defenses and how to attack, especially vertical first. Uh, was just really unparalleled at that time. And to have the opportunity to play for him, um, to win, to to win the different awards. And then, of course, his his experience with the Heisman, I think, really helped shape how he coached me. You know, we didn't have a Heisman campaign. There wasn't a PR campaign. In fact, we never really even talked about it. You know, he was just like, you, you read the defense, you make
1: the throws, and at the end of the year, they'll figure that out. And uh, fortunately, it worked out. You mentioned the national championship in 1996. You actually played in two consecutive national championship games, losing to Nebraska in the Fiesta Bowl after the 95 season, before defeating Florida State to win it all in the Sugar Bowl after the 96 season. Tell us about those two games, and what was the, what was the 96 season like, and did the disappointment of falling one game short in 1995 help you in some way to win it the following year?
2: Yeah, it was a very humbling loss to Nebraska. They they beat the stew out of us. And I think it really grew us up a lot in a lot of ways. Some would say that player for player, our 95 team was actually better than the 96 team. But a few things changed. One, we brought in a new defensive coordinator named Bob Stoops, who was just outstanding. And that uh, really made a big difference uh, in 1996. Uh, And then, you know, we had a tough, tough loss late in the season to florida state last game of the regular season which for all intents and purposes would knock you out of any hopes for a national title but a whole series of bizarre things happened you know nebraska was undefeated and they lost to texas the next week alabama was undefeated and we played them and beat them you had arizona state who was undefeated and ohio state beat them and then the only undefeated team left was Florida State, and we happened to get a rematch of with them in the Sugar Bowl. So it was an amazing experience. Uh, we put the shotgun in. That was something we didn't run much back then for Spurrier, and that made a big difference. And we, we beat the stew out of them and got the first national title for the University of Florida. Uh, great, great times for sure.
1: Awesome. Now, overall, you were fortunate enough to play in the Sugar Bowl three times. Uh, as well as that Fiesta Bowl, we talk a lot on this podcast about the lifelong memories that these bowl games provide to everyone involved. Not not every bowl game is for the national championship, but they, they're still really meaningful. Talk to us about your experiences and the memory you have from those games, not just on game day, maybe, but but you know the the days leading up when you're in a in a unique environment with all your teammates.
2: Yeah, well, you know the rhythm of a regular season um, is great because you want to be in a rhythm. You have to play so many games; you got to have a structure. But in, in some cases, it kind of runs together. Uh, they're all back to back to back. Uh, you kind of locker rooms, uh, hotels, airplanes, stadiums. You know, it's kind of like that was your life. And then in uh, school, well, you go to a bowl game and it's it's a whole different situation. Uh, you're, you're off. It's, it's all day with your teammates. Um, you've got practices, but you've also got free time. You get to do events in the city you know, back then they could actually give you like some bowl gifts. So like we got like a sweatshirt and a, you know, a watch and we thought we were like the richest people in the world back in that era before NIL. And uh, you know, the, the experiences of things you could do in the city uniqueness of having kind of, it's not a home game for either team. So you've got pretty big fan bases in, in both cases so often that just really make for a unique experience that I think young, young men will never forget.
1: Now, after college, you were drafted by the Saints in 1997. Uh, And after your playing career, you returned to New Orleans to work with Desire Street Ministries, which supports under-resourced neighborhoods. What initially motivated you to work with that organization? What are some of the initiatives you're most proud of?
2: Well, you know, when I went there as a rookie in 97, is when I actually started working there, volunteering, um, just I was blown away by the, you know, when I thought of, levels of poverty, my mind would usually picture uh, a third world country uh, somewhere across the ocean, perhaps. But then to see the the level of poverty in our own country, in fact, the desired neighborhood was not too far from where we won the Sugar Bowl and where I was playing professional football. And right there, there's a neighborhood where, you know, many years, the valedictorian of the high school couldn't pass the ACT because the school system was so uh difficult. Uh you had kids that didn't have access to, to healthcare. They may have to ride buses for three and a half hours just to get to an ER. Um, you know, homes issues. And, and and so anyway, I just was torn by by that and got involved. And Desire Street at the time was a local organization trying to address those issues in New Orleans in the ninth ward. Well, over time, and after I retired and joined the staff and became the the director, now what we, What we do is we find leaders that are doing that work all over the country, primarily in the Southeast. And we partner with those leaders for five years because we've, we found that they're just so often struggling. They're so often, um, burning out. you know, we talked a lot about my success as a football player being related to my coach, to coach Spurrier and the program's investment in me. Well, we want to be an investment in leaders. And so we've been working with, uh, dozens of of organizations all over the the Southeast and we're in the middle of a plan to impact 20 new neighborhoods by 2025.
1: Wow, that's, uh, that's really impressive, Danny. I, it's, um, you know, so many athletes that, you know, they, they don't know what to do with themselves after their playing career. Um, and it it seems like you probably had that mapped out in your head in in some way that you were going to be doing good, you know, your whole life. Um, 2005, the All Sports Association of your hometown, Fort Walton Beach, created the Wartful Trophy, in your honor, uh, which is awarded annually to the athlete who best exemplifies your character on the field of play and in the classroom. It's known as college football's premier award for community service. Very cool. What does this mean to you and how proud of you to have this award uh, be given out in your name?
2: Well, when they first suggested... Uh an award named after me, my first thought was, well, there's too many awards already. So thank you, but no, thank you. But as they explained the, really the emphasis on community service, that, that sort of hit me because one of my, my life's mission is to inspire service and unity in the world. And so this really fit with that. And I can't tell you how humbled and also how excited I am that we get to to highlight, to, to shine a spotlight, you know, on almost usually every year it's a hundred nominees that are doing great work. Uh, and, and all too often, these are the type of athletes that, you know, unless you're the best player on the best team, or unless you do something really dumb, you're usually not getting much press, but this is our way of, of trying to shine the light on, on goodness, on people that are helping other people, and it inspires me uh, to tell their stories it's hard to pick semi finalists it's harder to pick three finalists and it's really hard to pick one winner each year but that's what we do and we're trying to do more and more storytelling uh with the the wonderful stories of these young men and what they're doing
1: i think this is really cool cuz you know that today's generation you know they're they're maybe not uh historians like we would like them to be so you know i think this award gets them Uh, Causes them to understand who you were as a player, but then also as a person. It's a a really cool award. Um, You know, going back to when you were younger, uh, you were co-valedictorian in your graduating class at Fort Wallen. Uh, In college, you were one of only two Heisman Trophy winners to receive the Dratty Trophy, which is now known as the William V. Campbell Award, presented annually by the National Football Foundation to the nation's top football scholar-athlete. Going to college is is a lot of work, especially at the University of Florida. Um, how did you manage to balance the workload uh, in high school, but then more so in college uh, with the academics and all the pressures that come with playing quarterback at such a high level?
2: Well, one, I w- you know Florida had a great support team there. Uh, the Office of Student Life and the things that they've done and do to support athletes was was very helpful. Um, you know, I think partly I was very lucky to have been born. I have a good memory. And a lot of a uh, lot of learning is how much can you recall, and so that was just a very, very fortunate uh, gift that I feel like I was was given. Um, and then just trying not to get too far behind, you know, you gotta. I, I keep telling, telling my kids, they're like, yeah, if they have a text, test next Friday. They want to start studying Friday morning. I'm like, that's just not how this works. Uh, you know, and if they have a big project, they wait till it's the due date is when they think they're supposed to do it. It's like, no, that's, that's when it's due, D-U-E. So, you know, getting ahead of things, um, you know, prioritizing how you spend your time. Those are all difficult things to, to learn, but can really help, uh, academically as
1: well. well. Last question for you, Danny, during your playing days in the swamp, you were, you're obviously very well known nationally in today's college football landscape. We're seeing players capitalize on that type of fame, fame with NIL deals. I'm sure you would have done very well with that what are your thoughts on the growth of nil and college athletics based on your perspective as a former player
2: well i do think there's a space and a place for players to earn income i think to leverage their name their image and likeness as that's developed um, makes sense to me but what's happened uh, is really it's almost just like a, a loophole to 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 recruit. to to pay players regardless of of any name, image, and likeness. And then, you know, especially as it's connected to recruiting, I think that's a really not, not a healthy, it's still illegal, but it's, it's still uh, happening. Uh, The other thing though, that I think makes it even more complicated is not just the NIL situation, but that along with the transfer portal is really sets those two things together to make it a very unique situation. I do hope that, Perhaps there'll be some legislation that comes that uh, has some sort of binding contract. If you're going to commit somewhere, that if you do break the contract, maybe you do have to sit out a year or something like like we used to have to when we transferred. That could could help. Uh, otherwise, you just you know go to the biggest bidder. Or if you're not happy and you know jumping ship just because something's not going your way is not a great uh, character development <laughs> for for people. Because as you get older in life, and marriage, and parenting, and work. Uh, you got to fight through those things and you don't, you can't just transfer portal out of whatever problem you have as an adult. I will say this, though. After all that ranting about no, I'm not super happy about it. When I'm still watching college football, it's special. It's still like it hasn't lost something, at least not yet, that I love. And so that bodes well. I do think maybe some legislation and some tidying of things could clean that side up. But I think the
1: the fans, the joy for college football is here to stay. Well said, Danny. Well, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate everything you continue to do for the game of college football, but more importantly, what you do for the for the communities and, and recognizing those people that have impact on the communities. Really appreciate that. You're, you're, you're a great, uh, great guy. And uh, thank you for being on the show.
2: Well, I appreciate it. If anybody wants to track me down, whether it's the Werfel Trophy or Desire Street, you can just, if you can spell my name, you can go to DannyWorfel.com
1: and you can find all the things you want to know. So appreciate it. Excellent. Thanks, Danny. Well, that'll do it for this week's podcast. Today's guests were brought to you by TapIt. Understand how going cashless builds loyalty, engages fans, and boosts your bottom line. If you missed any of our past episodes, you can catch them on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate you to like, subscribe, and drop a five-star rating. And as always, you can follow all the bowl season news on our website, bullseason.com, and on social media at Season.